You're listening to the Economic Sensations podcast with Zimbalim Kuhn. Please don't forget to subscribe to and share the content in all our platforms. A very good day to our listeners on the show. Welcome to the first episode of the Economic Sensations podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Rech Ngosi, who is an economist and has a well of wisdom uh, in development finance and the economics of banking. Now we all know how eventful of uh, 2020 has been and we've seen the problems it has brought for us due to the coronavirus. But we are aware that some of these problems have long existed even before the pandemic. But they are just now elevated to a whole new level. However, we do have people who are providing solutions and they are leading the conversations towards providing solutions to our existing problems in the economy. But the problem is these people only cater for a certain group of people. The language they use can only be understood by a certain group of people. So, Mr. Nkosi, do you think it is important for everyone to understand economics or we should just leave it to to the experts in the field and those who understand and maybe those who have studied economics? Well, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for your question. Well, I think uh, uh, to quote uh, a teacher at uh, Cambridge, it says economics should be known by uh, everyone because uh, very often economists use terms and the language that's not very accessible to every person and therefore get to confuse people. Meanwhile, the issues that are discussed are so fundamental uh, that people, most people should know. Therefore, I would indeed suggest that uh, economics and indeed finance should be accessible to a broad range of people. Uh, we are going to discuss uh, the, the, the most recent headline, which is uh, IMF approves the 70, 70 billion rand loan to South Africa. But what I need us to do is to simplify uh, this headline for, for a layman to understand and get the gist of, of what the IMF is. International Monetary Fund, but what does it do? Uh, who works there? Where are the offices? Right. Uh, the International Monetary Fund uh, is based in Washington, uh, D.C., in the U.S. It is one of the few organizations that were created uh, in 1944 to tackle the global challenges of uh, uh, global economic challenges of the time. Uh, seemingly, since it was, uh, together with the World Bank, since they were created, they had a lot to do with assisting Europe. In time, not much of the developing world, but uh, over time, changes occurred. And now the IMF mm -hmm. is uh, one such institutions where most developing countries seek to, uh, to get assistance in regards to the balance of payments programs. Balance of payments shall mean if a country uh, doesn't have money, foreign money to use to import goods, sure. and then they can go to the IMF and secure such money as loan. For example, if we do not have shirts here and we can only import shirts somewhere, but we do not have the currency of that particular country, 
then we ask the IMF to give us a loan so that we can secure those shits. So that fundamentally has been the uh, the role of the IMF for quite a while now. Sure. At some point in time, 1970s, the IMF itself had to reinvent its role because uh, its initial mandate almost <laughs> expired, if you want. <laughs> so now it is indeed assisting many developing, developing countries in the issue of balance of payments. Okay. So how, how, how would you rate them in, with regards to their success in helping these developing countries? It's, it's very, very difficult to give a number, say, out of 10. But um, if it comes to the assistance that they've been helping, that they've been giving to most countries, I think the IMF has succeeded. True. But unfortunately, for developing mm-hmm. countries, they become very active as institutions that really exploit the developing world instead of supporting them in the manner we expected them to support. Sure. Therefore, on that score, therefore, for developing countries, IMF scores very, very poorly. You must remember, uh, as part of evidence, that much of the East Asia that was poorer than South Africa in the 1960s uh, rejected the IMF approach to economic development. And up to now, they just not like the IMF approach to economic development, and they continue to dislike it up to now. So rating them, sadly, if it is in the developing world, I do not know. I would actually place them around three or four out of 10. Interesting. I do know that you do have your reasons and they are justified by factual uh, arguments. But what I'm interested in now, uh, Mr. Nkos, is that what are these conditions that come with the, the IMF loan, specifically the loan that has been given to South Africa? How will it impact uh, maybe a teacher or or a cashier at PKNP? What are the conditions for, for this loan? All right. Firstly, let's differentiate this particular loan and other types of loans. All right. This loan is a special kind of a loan which has been given to South Africa and other countries uh, given the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, it is not one of the ordinary loans that uh, IMF would give. Therefore, the conditions are not as onerous as the ordinary loans that one would get from the IMF. So they are simplified. In case of South Africa now, they did not specifically, they have not given us a sense of the typical conditions, but what we did as a country through Treasury, the Department of Finance, and the Reserve Bank, we told them that we would be able to, uh, as part of, uh, of accessing this money, be able to fiscally consolidate, all right? Sure. And have structural reforms uh, so that these can help us grow the economy. And with an economy growing, we should be able, therefore, to repay money to them. So, okay. so effectively, if you want, the conditions, the key conditions of this particular loan, therefore, are that we should cut expenditure, raise taxes, and at the same time, begin to restructure institutions like Transnet, ESCOM, and so, and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you cut expenditure, 
But that means is that you are not able to sponsor or to give money to social activities like, uh, you know, um, government activities like uh, uh, constructing roads, uh, clinics, pay, paying people well, and so on. So all those services will in fact be affected by the conditions that are attached to this law. In effect, therefore, okay. what it does, it impoverishes or it diminishes the capacity of a country to offer the necessary services that it's supposed to offer uh, if it did not have this particular type of a loan. So speaking of that, how, how long does it take to pay this kind of a loan given to South Africa? This loan is an emergency type of a loan. It should take a uh, uh, maximum of five years. We should pay it uh, uh, within this particular period of time. It has attracted interest of about 1%. Uh, okay. as, as, as you said, it is about $4.3 billion. It's actually about 3 point something SDR, uh, special drawing rights, but it's expressed in dollars. And yeah, so we should be able to pay um, this loan within a uh, a period of uh, four or five years. How does this loan actually get here? Is it uh, in South Africa? Uh, transported by way of uh, maybe a plane? Is it a wire transaction? Because I think there's been a lot of con confusion with regards to this money because a lot of people tend to think uh, maybe uh, the IMF will give us uh, this 70 billion rand uh, through maybe the money they've printed specifically for South Africa. How does it get here to to South Africa? Uh, it's a fundamental question. In fact, uh, most people don't understand this uh, dynamic. And uh, in the process, they give very confusing reports or statements about it. First and foremost, just before we, we get to the IMF uh, loan itself, South Africa has a currency called the RAND, okay? Yes. Botswana has got a currency called the PULA, all right? Zimbabwe is in sure. dollar, US, US dollar. We cannot use in South Africa a Zim dollar or a Botswana pula or even a US at all. We can only use a rand to buy and do transaction in this country. Sure. Therefore, if Botswana gives us pulas, all right, just as now we have loan from the US, we cannot have the pula in South Africa because it's not our currency. So what okay. happens then in that instance when they say a country has given them, has given another country so much? When we say we've gotten money from the IMF at $4.3 billion, what actually happens there is that South Africa's account at the Reserve Bank of the US, which is called the Federal Reserve, is credited with $4.3 billion, all right? Yes. Now, <clears throat> supposing South Africa wanted to import PPE, they could okay. draw on this particular money in the US. Okay. If they wanted, if you wanted to yeah. buy, for example, uh, PPE made in the US costing 4.3 billion, then that amount would be paid for from that particular account. Now, sure. this money here 
is said to be used in South Africa. So how does it get used, therefore? Here is the transaction. When the South African account in Washington is inflated or credited with $4.3 billion, here in South Africa, the Reserve Bank, okay, credits the Treasury account with the equivalent of $4.3 billion, which would be therefore in oh. rands. 70 billion rands is the money the Reserve Bank of South Africa prints. Oh. And gives. So essentially, we are given the rights to print the money. <laughs> well, I, I'll go back to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. The Reserve Bank of South Africa generates $4.3 billion in rands because we don't use dollars in this country, which therefore amounts to 70 billion rands. So the Treasury, all right, begins to draw yes. from the account at the Reserve Bank. You must remember the government has got, uh, the Reserve Bank is a, mm -hmm. is a bank for the government, all right? Sure. sure. So the Treasury or any ministry anyway for that matter, all right, begins to draw money from its account at the Reserve Bank and pays you and me, all right, oh, or does whatever okay. it has to do. So indeed, your statement of saying we are told to print money is almost exactly that. But okay. <laughs> The, this printing is therefore induced by this particular loan. Oh. So no money moves in between the US and South Africa at all. There's no such thing in the current global monetary system. Mm -hmm. You cannot have all these billions of rands being shipped by some, <laughs> some airplane or ship to South Africa, no. Okay. Uh, but however, I should warn this. There are some dollars in, in, in circulation here, all right, in South Africa. Okay. The US dollar notes. Those notes move around. You, you can actually get them from the banks and so on and so forth. That is completely different from such transactions as the loans that we get in dollars. For example, in the US, I went to the US, I, I actually gave them the rands. They accepted the rents there, and I got the dollars and used the dollars there. So those rents that I left in the U.S. normally get yes. patriated back to the to, to South African Reserve Bank because they don't use rents in the U.S. You can only use as a traveler, all right? That is so yes. far as it comes to currency exchanges. But otherwise, when we have a loan of this nature, such money never travels to South Africa. Seeing that uh, we we are crediting our our current account, right? Yes. So when we make the payments to, to the IMF, what do we now do uh, with regards to paying the, the actual amount given to us? Right. Therefore, we, we take away money from our account. All right? Okay. We, we, we draw down as if we're drawing down. In effect, yes. what we do, the U.S. account here in South Africa is inflated by the equivalent that we want to pay them, all right? Yes. Like I said, the South African government has got an account at the Federal Reserve in Washington, 
Similarly, the U.S. Okay. government has got an account here in South Africa. So their account here in South Africa is inflated, is credited by the amount that we are paying back. So the U.S. can therefore use it, this particular account of theirs in here, for whatever they want to do. If they want to buy uh, South African stuff and ship it over to the U.S., they can. But no money yes. moves between countries as I described described oh i think you have clarified for us very well there and i think uh even those who are affected and don't have the economics background will get to at least understand the basics of how this uh transaction uh, will be will be carried out but uh in in your recent comments uh just i think a question before this one you did uh talk about uh restructuring of of the government funds for us to uh, f- for this loan, right? Yeah. So now, what I what I want to to understand is, uh, so so since we are restructuring the funds, it means uh, an average citizen who who maybe works in a store or just a, a cleaner will be affected because now since we are restructuring funds, mm-hmm. it means there will be less investment and uh, less infrastructure, if I may say, and also that will lead to unemployment, right? Yes. So how do, how do we prepare as, as citizens of, of South Africa if such a case happens or is mm-hmm. it's, it's already happening, right? So now I, I need to understand how to maybe prepare for for the dire situation that's going to come with these uh, uh, conditions of the IMF loan? Yes, uh, uh, thanks. Thanks very much. Actually, what normally happens in this instance is that uh, uh, as part of the conditions of the loan, the, U- the IMF says you should begin to your economy by introducing structural reforms. Uh, they normally, yes. when they say structural reforms, they may even mean that you have to sell your assets. Uh, okay. Like uh, assets in this instance would be Transnet is our national asset. Uh, yes. ESCOM is our national asset. Uh, selling them means uh, them being in the hands of foreigners. So you and me okay. have no control over ESCOM. You must remember ESCOM is really it's a citizen company. So sure. it's controlled by citizens. Now, when they say you should be restructuring them, mean you should, in fact, be transferring this uh, particular asset to non-South Africans. So, yes. so when that happens in this, that instance is that there are South Africans who own ESCO, if it becomes restructured, they wouldn't really care to punish you and me in terms of the ESCOM bills. All right? Okay. So you would, they would even yes. say, well, um, you should be paying 100 rand per unit. And this money which you pay them goes into their pockets, the foreign, foreigners. And then you and me get poorer and poorer hmm. as a consequence of having to pay 100 rand per unit of electricity used. Yes. And sometimes they may even say, well, um, ESCOM had 20 employees, for example. No, we only need maybe 15 or 10. They're going to have okay. to lay off those five or 10, meaning that South Africans will be unemployed. 
So mm. these structural reforms that come with these loans are very, very dangerous for countries. It is for this reason that so many countries in Asia do not want to hear about IMF. Instead of just giving us money to say, okay, we want you to have this money, pay us back, they say, uh, you, you, we give you this money, but do the following things. So South Africa has to, in my view, reject this type of loans because they're unhelpful. There's no need for South Africa to be going to the IMF to get money because South Africa can print its own money like any other country prints its own money for the use in its own country. The so idea, so yeah. the alternative here for, for the IMF loan is for us to print the money. Yes. Um, no, now, the word print always confuses people because when they say print, they immediately think about inflation. Yes, All right? definitely. Yeah. So yes. the best word we normally use is to issue their own money. All right? But it's the same yes. thing. There's no country that never prints money. Every country prints. Every country issues its own money. All right? So there's no need yes. for you to import money when you can, in fact, print money. All you have to do is to ensure that you print it or you issue money consistent with the demands of the country. If the demand oh, of the country... That's where, yes. That's where the, the confusion usually gets uh, because maybe people, we, we automatically think that we, when we print money, then automatically there's inflation. But what we do need to understand that we need to print it consistent with the demands of our respective economy, just like you have mentioned. Indeed. Absolutely. Oh, okay. In fact, it's well established in progressive economic literature that when you print money for productive purposes, inflation does not arise. The yes. only time inflation arises is when there's so much demand of a particular product, and that product cannot be supplied uh, in, in, in good quantities. Therefore, the, prices, the price shoots up. The shooting up of a price uh, uh, is if effectively inflation. So if, therefore, you produce roads and roads get used appropriately, and there, therefore, can never be inflation that arises because that money is being used productively. If you invest in students by paying them fees, students become productive citizens, and there's no way inflation is going to arise as a consequence of investing in, 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 in your own people. Sure. The only time inflation arises is when the demand outstrips the supply, right? Like what mm, happened in Zimbabwe, yes. all right? Yes, I'm glad you quoted Zimbabwe because a lot of times when we speak about inflation and printing money, Zimbabwe happens to be a country. Yes, uh, it, it is very often. And in fact, they use it to scare people away. What happened in Zimbabwe is very, very important is that 
when President Mugabe began the land reform program, all right, he did yes. not do it in the manner consistent with the desires of his own country. All right. What therefore happened was that the production, the capacity for the economy to produce food was hampered. All right. Okay. Not only that, yes. there's the, 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 quite a lot of problems in the, um, in the manufacture of certain goods as well. So Zimbabwe was one of the highly successful manufacturing countries. But the manner in which they began to deal with the issue of land and others related to that harmed the productive sectors of the economy. I'll just give you an example of bread, for example. Supposing, yes. therefore, you snatch all the uh, factories that produce bread, there's no bread in the country, yet people depend on bread to eat. You know, if there's any little bread, then it will cost a lot of money. Okay? Yes. And that high cost is actually inflation. So inflation arises when the cost of a particular good or goods exceed 50% per month, then that becomes hyperinflation. But in that case, it's not printing money. There's no printing of money. It's the demand vis-a-vis -vis the supply that causes the hyperinflation or inflation. All right? Okay. So not the printing yes. of money. Printing of money is, is completely separate from the inflation issue. It's how then you deploy that money when you have printed that may cause inflation if it is not deployed okay. properly. Yes. No, I, I do get you uh, quite very, very clearly there. And I think now we need to move maybe to the last few questions. And right. I think the, the most important thing here, our concern, the concern as, as, as Africans specifically, because uh, most of the time uh, we do see corruption as an African phenomenon, whereas it's not necessarily the truth because corruption is everywhere. But what I do want to know right now is, is there a way to limit uh, corruption or misuse of the IMF funds? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I've read in the newspaper that uh, uh, many people are worried about uh, how the money is going to be used. And... Uh, that there's going to be corruption mm. and so on. I think people are highly misinformed. Any money okay. that the Reserve Bank prints, okay, is yes. normally allocated to the account of government. All right? Yes. So yes. the government is the one that directs the money to the various programs in the country. The Treasury allocates, for example, so much that goes to the DTI, all right? And DTI yes. takes that money and gives it over to IDC, gives over to Kula, gives over to so and so on and so forth for all these institutions to use this particular money in the economy, all right? Okay. So there's not going to be any difference between the way Reserve Bank prints any money to the one that the IMF has, um, the one that we've gotten uh, from the IMF. It's going to be printed in the same way. It's going to be allocated in the same way. All right. So yes. accountability, therefore, 
is going to be exactly as the treasury would account for any money it draws from the account at the reserve bank. Yes. Okay, so DTI yes. would account in the same manner it used the account before on the money that uh, is distributed to it. The Ministry of Health would also account in the same way as it used to account yesterday for the money given to it. So there's no over-exaggeration to saying now the Ministry of Health, sure. therefore, is, is just going to issue unnecessarily uh, monies uh, to anyone. No. The same safeguards that are there in the PMFA apply, will apply to the money that we received from the loan that we printed as a consequence of having it at the Reserve Bank, as would apply even before the, 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 this, this, this particular money. Sure. So what is needed there, for, however, is just a matter of reporting to say, all right, you know, for this particular money, we have used it for that and that and that and that. First of all, we have allocated to DTI, we have allocated to Minister of Health, we have allocated to Minister of Education. It's going to higher secondary schools or lower primary school or the universities and so on. Just the normal accountabilities that are supposed to be there. So I think people yes. are overly exaggerated this issue of, of uh, money being abused uh, as if Treasury has no mind of its own, has no controls over, over the monies that it spends. But there's no doubt that yes. corruption uh, exists. Corruption does exist, but it would exist anyway. <laughs> it, it would exist. That's, so, that's my sense, yes. So just to wrap up, uh, do you think uh, is there a perfect solution in economics? And if so, which, which country can we look up to as South Africa in these uh, testing times that we, we face? Uh, firstly, uh, not just in these testing times. I think South Africa has not been performing for quite a number of years now. All yes. right. And the question that arises is, what? why is it that South Africa has been underperforming? The only time we performed well was perhaps uh, when President Mandela uh, was the minister, sorry, was the president, and, and therefore, uh, even parts of Mbeki administration. But even during those times, I don't think we were performing because the economic system was good. It's because the global economy was performing well. So South Africa was therefore swept along that global mm. economic performance. So if there are yes. going to be countries that were going to have to... Um, uh, emulate. Now, when I say emulate here, I mean using the macroeconomic framework that they have used successfully to develop themselves, then here are some of the countries. Germany is one of the very, very few countries that is managing its economy quite well. And during its development phase, it used its reserve bank significantly to print money, direct that money into appropriate sectors of the economy, and was indeed able mm. to generate a lot of money, a lot of growth for a long, long, long time indeed, perhaps up to now. Yes. Outside of Europe, 
we do we do have the East Asian countries. Japan was one of the very first few countries that grew phenomenally in those years during its development phase. But if you remember properly, Japan's macroeconomic framework was actually a copycat of the German economic framework. So the Reserve Bank of Japan, the law of the Reserve Bank of Japan was a copy of the law of the Reserve Bank of Germany. So the manner in which the German Reserve Bank was producing money, printing money, is almost the same way the Japanese Reserve Bank was printing money to the economy. So in Japan, there were fundamentally three, two ministries that were at the forefront of the Japan that we had come to know. It's the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of International Trade, which is MITI, Ministry of International Trade and Industry, the DTI of Japan. So yes. these were the core face of the massive development that we saw in, 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 in Japan. So therefore, the macroeconomic framework that Japan used is quite important for South Africa to emulate. But outside of Japan, much of the East Asians, Malaysia in part, Taiwan fundamentally, South Korea, they developed through a framework that was copied, if you want, from Germany. So if South Africa is to copy, therefore, I think the, 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 the previous Japanese framework was very helpful. The Korean framework was very helpful. The, the Taiwanese framework was very helpful. Today, if South Africa is to copy continuously, is again to use the Chinese framework. The Chinese framework behind it is exactly the German system. So Japan, I mean, China now used exactly the formulation of the South Korean, the Taiwanese, the Japanese, the German economic model to be where it is today. Sure. So if we, therefore we're going to succeed, not just in this particular crisis, but in growing sustainably, changing the lives of the people, transforming the economy, then frankly, the examples of China, South Korea, Taiwan, Japan and Germany come to mind in the recent times. But even before, okay. the US itself had a similar type of model that the German developed. Yes. So yes, you can as well say South Africa can develop if it uses the US model, not the current US model, the previous um, US model that led the US to where it is today. Mr. Nkosi, thank you for your time and we appreciate your time and I hope you do continue schooling us in, in your writings and everything. And in, in my first question I did ask and you asked about the, the importance of everyone knowing. And now I need to, to ask in conclusion, uh, what role do we play as economists in making people uh, understand the, the basic uh, economic uh, occurrences? Well, I think it's important for economists to be very simple. Uh, very often economists use terminology that's not very helpful to the broader world. And people do not understand most of the, uh, most of the stuff that economists talk. And that gets uh, the larger population confused. So it's very important for economists also to begin to simplify the language so that people are able to understand what economists mean when they talk. But also, it yes. just gives confidence.
to saying, if this person talks simple language that we can understand, then people can participate in the economic activities in the country, given the fact that they understand democratically what it is that they can do as well. So simplifying themselves is fundamental because democratic participation in an economy is so crucial for overall economic health. Thank you so much, Mr. Nkosi. And uh, last question, uh, which two books would you recommend for, for understanding the economics of banking? Well, <laughs> the, 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 there are quite a few books uh, on, on, on banking. Um, I would just want to warn that uh, um, the, the, the ones that are there that are quite um, often put up in, the, in, in public spaces, they're not very helpful because they do not uh, reflect banking as it is known to be. Therefore, uh, I would suggest that uh, uh, the, the, the best book is a recently mm -hmm. published book in the US. It is called Financial, uh, is it Financial Development? It's written by one of the MMT guys but um, not from an MMT perspective, but from a typical banking perspective, the modern banking perspective. Uh, I would perhaps send you at a later time the exact title of it. It's one of the very, very helpful uh, banking book. It was developed because most of the banking books that we have do not describe banking in the manner banking happens. For example, just as a quite, quite a quick one, is that most of the books that I learned and most people learned say banks are financial intermediaries. They, uh, they receive deposits from people and take those deposits and lend them. That's how we were taught in school about banking. But that is wrong. That's wrong. Banks do not do that. All right? So... This yes. book, this particular book, illustrates quite clearly how banks or how banking uh, is done and how banking fits into the macroeconomic picture. And therefore, what a country can do to promote the type of banking that can assist in economic development. Thank you so much, Mr. Nkosi, and we hope to have you again on the show. Thanks, eh? You're listening to the Economic Sensations podcast with Zimbal Mkunu. Please don't forget to subscribe to and share the content in all our platforms.